liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another special episode, a live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. Today, I have on Martha Bueno. She has been uh, a candidate for commissioner of Miami-Dade District 10 and chair of the Community Council in Area 11, and also a mother. And I, uh, we've been friends, and I think that we'll go into this as friends, and we'll come out as friends, despite her detraction for the uh, the Mises Caucus and her exiting the LP. I, I think that that's all minor, but I did want to um, have her come in to talk about some of her critiques, see if there's some things we could learn from it, see if there's some things we can internalize and and work on or counter. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, thank you for coming on, Martha. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me this opportunity to clear the air, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, just for people know my background a little bit, I only got involved in the Mises Caucus a few months ago. Um, and I just moved to Florida a few months ago, too. So, like, I don't have nearly the experience that you do. Um, I have spoken to a few people in the Mises Caucus about, you know, this whole kerfuffle uh, to try and get some background, but uh, I don't really know a lot personally. So I'm just going to be arguing from uh, just a principle basis primarily. So if you could kind of lay out some of your critiques and we could just discuss them. Sure. So I want to just start off by saying that I have no critiques towards the Mises Caucus itself. There are a lot of really good people, really good friends of mine, you know, that are in this caucus. And I have to say that it, it's it's like the Libertarian Party. We we can all look at the Libertarian Party and see people within it that, um, you know, we're like, oh, that doesn't represent my views or this is a problem. I don't want to have any of this taken as a Mises caucus thing. I think okay. there's several people within it that are very vocal. And... Um, you know, that's that's kind of the problem. And my, my issue, again, wasn't necessarily the Mises caucus itself. I do think that some people associated with it think it's funny to call out women, uh, critique us on our bodies or our face. You know, I've been lots of things have been said about me, which I don't really care. I mean, it's it, listen, I have thick skin. I don't care. My real issue is the women coming up behind us. Right. So I'm the mother of four. I have a daughter who would who is turning 18, it would have happened the day of the convention, and I was going to bring her with me. Mm. And um, seeing all these things being said, do I want my 18-year-old daughter with among a group of people that think that calling her mom is, um, you know, sexual stuff? I, I just, listen, guys, you know, we're an organization. We need to be professional. I don't think, and, and I'm not saying that I'm free of guilt. I've also called out people and said things that I don't think. I think there's a culture that we need to work on within the party itself. Um, and, and that's kind of where that critique happened. The big issue I had was with the convention itself, not with the caucus. And okay. in that case, I've been working really hard to get Hispanic voices into the party. And I don't mean that as in, listen, I'm Hispanic. Um, I don't bring in Hispanic people when I'm speaking in English. What I mean is we need to bring in um, and have voices from all over the place, have our, our values translated into Spanish. Um, as I don't know if, if people are aware, I did the voice of Joe Jorgensen in Spanish for her campaign. Um, mm -hmm. And I did that voluntarily. They didn't ask me to do it at the beginning. I kind of pushed my way into that spot. 
because I believe that our message of freedom needs to be in as many languages as possible. You can't spread freedom in in just English. I mean, it, sure, it works. But listen, we've been at this for 50 years. The um, the United States has had a two-party system for over 167 years. So the, the Libertarian Party 50 years ago when they got involved, they've been trying to push their way in and we really didn't make a whole lot of headway. And so, um, you know, I'd like to see us make more of a headway. And I really do believe that the Hispanic population is open to liberty. I really mm -hmm. think that we are. And we need to make content in Spanish. So with, with the convention, um, just how all of that went down, I don't want to bore people. I ended up winning the convention contest. Uh, it was going to be named the Martha Bueno Convention uh, in here coming up in February. And I got reached out by several people I, that are on um, the committee. And the first thing I heard was, hey, you won. Would you like to be the MC of this event? And I said, absolutely. I would love to be the MC. And then I heard, hey, we're thinking, you know, do you want to bring in speaker? Like, is there, you know, is there anything you want? And I said, oh, yes. And I immediately reached out to Javier Milei. Javier Milei is the number one Hispanic superstar in the libertarian community right now. The reason is he just won a seat in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, the biggest city, the capital city. Um, he won the seat as a libertarian. He's a, you know, he, he dresses up sometimes as Mr. Ancap. He's, he's phenomenal. And he has a huge following. He has over a million followers on Instagram alone. Now, um, you know, there's a lot of libertarians. None of us have, you know, I think except for uh, Tim Pool, <laughs> you know, we're, we're really, there's very few of us that have that kind of reach. No, of and, course. Yeah. And Javier Millet said, yeah, I think I'd like to come to that. And then I found out that we don't actually have space for Javier Millet. Um, and then I saw the lineup, which is not published yet. And I was wondering why we couldn't maybe have a separate, maybe a side event because they don't compete. I don't think that Javier Millet would have competed with our speakers. Um, we could have had a separate event. We could have done something. And I didn't see a whole lot of, of you know, support for that. It was, it was like, oh, we can give you like an overflow room where you can fit maybe 10, 15 people. And I was like, that's not going to work. And then it was like, we, we have no way of translating for Hispanic people that come in that want to hear our speeches. We have no, no support in that style. And then even more so, more importantly, um, I was told that we could have maybe a table so that all Hispanic people could sit together. And that's just not going to work for me. I, 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 we're not a group of people that we need to be babied. We don't need a safe space. We need to be included. And, um, you know, can I, I, can I hop in real quick? Because yeah. I, I was told that that table was to remedy your critique of needing a translator for some of them. And that they were saying, well, if we're going to do that, like we don't have the infrastructure set up to be able to have a translator for each individual because we don't have like UN type headphones or something like that. Um, so they I were just going to have a solution. Table. I said that if if the speakers have their speeches beforehand, like a rough translation, we could always just put the caption behind them. Even if it's not exactly, we could have just put the captions like on a screen behind them. I mean, it's. Listen, there's there's many of solutions. I, I understand we don't have. But, but I, I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Why did you take that? Because uh, it, my understanding was that that's the reason they offered that table was so that you could have a translator for all the people that didn't speak English so that they could understand it live. You know, while they, it was they didn't tell me that they just it was like, well, we're not going to do any of that, but we could maybe have a table for everyone to sit together. They weren't. It was not based on a translator in my understanding, but. 
Sure. Okay. Well, that, I think that may yeah. have been a miscommunication then, because that would have been a miscommunication. That, that was the way it was conveyed. Yeah, the way it was conveyed to me was just a, "Hey, you guys can all sit at a table together." And so, you know, and then I found out who our headline speaker was going to be, who unfortunately is against uh, immigration, and you know, it's just a culmination of many different things. I've, I've, I really. Um, I really would like to see things differently. And then I said, you know what? I think I kind of want to step back. And then I was just called out by a lot of people that, that, you know, I never said that I'm the only Hispanic person here. As a matter of fact, <laughs> lots of people in the Florida uh, delegation are Hispanic. They're friends of, of course. mine. Yeah. I, I would never say something like that. If it came across that way on Twitter or whatever, that's, that's unfortunate, but Listen, um, it, it wasn't supposed to be a leaving and crashing and burning. What does it mean to stop being a libertarian? It just meant that I was no longer going to have that registration. And it only meant that I was not going to support it financially. I, yeah. I, I am a lifetime member of the National Party and I am a platinum member of the Florida delegation. I give my money and my time and my effort to this party. And I will not do that while I feel like we don't care for the issues that are important to libertarians, especially not to the people that I'm trying to bring in. So again, I'm going on. I do not want to, to bring in women, especially young women, into a party where it's OK to attack them based on their body or whatever. You know, let's attack issues. Let's let's talk about issues. I don't want to have this infighting. It's really not conducive. And and to be honest, I've already, um, I used to never block people. I've just started blocking and removing myself from the situation. Welcome I to think my as, world. Yeah. I think as a politician, it's wrong to block people. I think that I should be listening to all, you know, anybody that wants to talk to me should be able to, but I just, I've come to the point where it's not worth the effort. And unfortunately, I'm just going to start blocking, you know, and, and moving on. And this will be the only interview I do about this. And I've, I've since moved on. I don't, I, this isn't my jam. I'm I'm here to spread liberty. I of course wake up and go to sleep, and in between those hours, I'm either, um, you know, being a mom, I'm being a business owner, or I'm spreading liberty. I have no intention of keeping this 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 little game or whatever of whatever it is that we want to call it. So yeah, that's no, I, I and for the for the record, you know, I I didn't invite you on to, um, you know make hay of this any more than has already happened. In fact, I was hoping that we could come to some sort of understanding as to like what happened from your perspective, what I've been told and see if there is some miscommunication. I probably would have been best if I had had on one of the Mises Caucus organizers that feels differently about this to, to be able to contend with your position a little bit better. But um, I think that the the primary critique that people had, or at least the one that rubbed me wrong that I read from you was it sounded as if you, it was it was basically identitarian argumentation that like you wanted to see more Hispanic people in the libertarian party as if that's, I mean, and I, I, I grant you that I think there is fertile ground there and that's I want to see, goal, yeah. <laughs> but I want to, I want to see more of everybody in the libertarian party. So when you, when you single out a single nationality, it does seem as if you're kind of going down the representation, critical race theory type mentality. And, and there's a, there's a very knee jerk reaction amongst libertarians to that type of language. So I, I hope you understand why sure. some of the pushback came from that. I understand that. But now let's look at my record. So my friend, Zach Foster from California and I started Latin Libertarians. We were doing a show every single Wednesday on the LP main channel where we were talking about the issues of Latin America. 
Um, he and I also do a show completely in Spanish, or we were doing, I don't know what the status of that is going to be in the future, where we were doing libertarian content in Spanish. He and I worked on Spike and Joe's campaign. He and I are part of the libertarian, um, the Ibero-American Libertarian Alliance, which includes all of the countries of Latin America and Spain, where we've signed an agreement to work together. Uh, in addition to that, I translate whenever possible. Uh, anything that people need. My goal is not about identity politics. As I said earlier, my goal is to translate our content and make it accessible to those who don't understand our language. And Hispanic isn't a race, and we're definitely not a singular country. Hispanic is anybody who speaks, or Latino, anybody who speaks Spanish, which includes over 20 countries. We are right. a huge demographic. And the thing is, we have a lot of people here in the United States, people in my own district who would vote for me that are Venezuelan, Colombian, Nicaraguan, Cuban especially. I am Cuban. I lived in Venezuela. The issues that are happening in Cuba are central to us here because it's not about what's happening in Cuba and us going there and, and doing something. What's happening in Cuba is we have a dictatorship for the last 63 years, 90 miles from our shores. And the largest diaspora of Cubans is here in my community. We are being banned by this country from being able to help our own people. We are banned from going to our island. We are banned from being able to leave a port with even the intentions of going there. And I was trying to make light of this. This is anti-freedom that our country is holding us back and not allowing to help our own people. So this isn't about a race or woke or whatever it is that people accuse me of. I've also been called a neocon because I believe that people in Cuba have a right to, to demand their freedom and work towards it. I'm not saying the United States should go over there and do it. I've also been called several names by a group because they um, they were saying about my, you know, sending medicine to Cuba is somehow a bad thing. Somehow I'm saving lives is never a bad thing. And I don't care what politics, you know, people care about. I care about saving lives. And we were we were sending medicine and we didn't say, hey, what party do you belong to? What are your ideas of freedom? You know, if some if a communist needed medicine, we were getting it to them, too. We were helping everybody because that's that that's what I believe in. I, yeah, I, well, I honestly, it's not politics. It's not personal. It's about freedom. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't have any critiques of that. I, I think that the, the concern from people and I saw Scott Horton commented on it is that, you know, it's it's basically how do you intend to arm the Cuban people without especially with the embargo and things like that? Um, historically, the fact that we've had so, we've we've been intervening in this country for so long uh by not allowing goods to get there and and Wait, then that's you're gonna... not what we're doing though that's a mischaracterization of the embargo completely okay go ahead so there is an embargo it's an embargo i believe on 11 companies uh those companies are cuban companies that are from the cuban government the united states is the number one supplier of uh chicken and medicine to cuba the the embargo does not stop other countries from sending. As a matter of fact, China, Spain, Mexico, Venezuela, they all tra trade with Cuba. In Cuba, there's an embargo, but it's the embargo of the Cuban government against its people. In Cuba, people are not able to grow their own food. They're not able to, for example, I have chicken here at my house. I have a flock of chicken. I have about 24 of them. In Cuba, that's illegal. You cannot own a flock of chicken. You cannot, you could not have a tomato plant a cucumber plant. You, can have, you, you can't grow your own food. You can't fish on an island 
that is surrounded by fish. Cubans are dying of hunger because they're not able to fish. Anything that is food belongs to the government, does not belong to the people. So the embargo, yes, the United States has an embargo on several com companies. They are being blocked from buying and they also cannot buy arms. We do not sell them weapons. Um, but there is no true embargo in the sense that you envision it. When you think of an embargo, you think not, no good, like there's no freighters. There's no American freighters blocking goods from arriving in Cuba. That's not the case. And I think oh, it's well, a misnomer. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even mean to imply that it was, it was that, I mean, obviously if you were doing that, especially under a communist regime, they would be dealing with really severe starvation if they were not able to get any imports at all. So I do realize that there are some countries that are still doing it. I thought that there was uh, a handful of countries, at least maybe in the past that were uh, withholding goods more uh, aggressively. Am I mistaken on that? Yeah, it's not, it's not an aggressive hold. It's, you know, it, the, that embargo took place because Cubans, um, Americans actually, that were in Cuba, all of their property was seized when Fidel Castro came to power. It was right. taken from them. And so that embargo is a hold so that the United States can come back and say, this property belongs to us. That's really what it is. Um, you know, it, it hurts the government. It does not necessarily. Wait, I'm sorry, but could you clarify which which property belongs to the United States government? Not the government, the people. Uh, so we had investments in Cuba, Americans, American citizens. Ah, um, I see. Okay. And, and those properties were seized by the Cuban government. So there was at the time, I believe in uh, the late 50s, early 60s, it was I think it was six billion dollars worth of property. So that's the embargo on them. It's it's American property um, of American. Right. So they're, they're trying to retrieve uh, American property rights, essentially, in a foreign country, which is. I don't know. It, it's uh, it's an interesting conundrum because you you end up punishing the people there, or at least adding to their plight uh, by having any sort of additional embargo that we're imparting upon them. So uh, I guess I should start there. Do you support our policies in that regard? Listen, our policies aren't great. Um, it's one of those situations where the people who have been in charge have had this idea that somehow this is improving the situation. It doesn't. So do I support it? No. Do, am I, am I like, Hey, take down that embargo. Cause that's going to solve the problem. No. So really I'm indifferent towards it. I think that's the best way to put it. I'm indifferent towards it. If the, if the United States removed the embargo tomorrow, nothing would change unless the Cuban government removes the embargo on its people. Nothing's going to change. I would what, love what you, to see more free trade with Cuba. I would love to see micro businesses being able to grow because that will improve the lives of the people. And that's what I'm about. I'm about freedom. You know, the, the government policies, again, we're libertarians. We realize that governments, it's about who you can sway to your team. It's about how much money you can give a politician to write something. So I'm, I really don't even focus on those things. I just want to get the people of Cuba because my family lives there still, because I care, because these are my people, because, you know, this country has given me everything. And I have to tell you, Clint, I, um, I'm able to compare my life to that of my cousin, my direct blood relative cousin. She's female. She's very cute, very adorable. She lives on the island and she's about 10 years younger than me. And if not for my family supporting her, her options are basically prostitution. Yeah. And so I have been able to build not one company, many companies. I've been able to have my four children. My kids have never known a day of, of hunger. They've never. And that's something that I can't say. I get messages from my, uh, from my cousin all the time saying, you know, her, she has a two-year-old and, and he, um, sometimes there's, there's days where she doesn't have medicine to give him, you know, 
uh, which is kind of where this whole idea of sending medicine to Cuba started, where she sent me a message. She's like, he has a fever and I have nothing to give him. I have nothing. And, and those are the things that I think about. And that's why I care. I mean, I, this country has given me everything. And the least I can do is try and help the people that, that we left behind. I can, I can totally respect that. I mean, if, if I, you know, my, my great grandfather came over from Germany. So, you know, if I was like a second gen uh, or first gen immigrant, I, I would certainly be looking back to my people that were being oppressed during World War One or whatever. And, and trying to assist if I could. So I, I can completely understand that, but I, I have to push back a little bit on, on your indifference to what happens with the embargo there. I mean, most libertarians argue that embargoes are economic warfare. Uh, I, I find myself in that camp that it's it ultimately ends up hurting the people more than it hurts the regime. The regime always, you know, it trickles down to the people and they don't end up feeling it much at all unless it drives the people to revolt. But if you have a disarmed, starving population, a revolt is basically impossible. So um, I, I don't understand the indifference there. It seems as if you should either support or oppose it. Why, why are you kind of lukewarm on it? Because like I said, it doesn't change anything. You can end the United States embargo on Cuba today, right now. Well, then it. If it doesn't change anything, end. why would you want government intervention at all? Why would you not just want it to end? So that, Because the people like, that lost their property deserve the right to one day go back and say, this is my property. I mean, you, I don't that, know. The embargo doesn't make that property come back though, right? No, it doesn't. And you're absolutely right. And I don't know what the, I have, I'm not a lawyer. This isn't, this is probably why I'm so lukewarm on it. I, my understanding is the reason it's there is because it is a placeholder for the United States to take action at some point and say, this is property or money that you need to return to us. I don't well, know if that's the case. I yeah, honestly, I mean, I'm not sure. Those those rights will exist if you have a government that acknowledges it at any point. I mean, if if they were to have some revolution and have some, you know, liberal, progressive, democratically elected type guy come in there and want to reopen good relations. What's that? Or a girl. Or guy girl. or girl. <laughs> uh, to have them reopen relations with America and kind of put, you know, let bygones be bygones. They could absolutely still honor those property rights. I, I don't see regardless of any sort of legal contract that's involved with this, um, it's ultimately going to be up to the Cuban government who, or the American government if they want to invade, which I, I certainly would not advocate for that. So um, I, I think I'm, I'm viewing this purely from a moral standpoint that regardless of your belief that this embargo is not impacting their, their lives one way or the other, or that it will not change it, it seems to me that the embargoes in particular, if you have them on the books, one... They either do really hurt the civilian population, which it seems as if you're pushing back against that thesis, or two, it it allows the dictator of whatever country we're talking about in this situation, Cuba, to turn to his people and say, no, 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 it's not me that you're mad at. It's them. They're sure, the ones that are causing end. your economic suffering. So why not get rid of that, you know, bullshit right. straw man? Which is what I'm saying. I, I'm either way. I'm wishy-washy. Even if the United States ended it, it's not like it's not like Diaz Canel is going to go on national TV and be like, "Now everything is open because the United States removed it." I mean, listen, propaganda is a good tool, and they've been using it really hard against people. Of and course. the reason I'm I'm wishy-washy on it is because I also very much follow Venezuela very closely. And um, you know, for those that don't know, I lived in Venezuela off and on during my entire life until I was 15. I lived there a solid six years, but back and forth my whole life. And um, we have an embargo on, I believe about five people from Venezuela, from specifically 
these people that have money. And so we've been able to freeze their assets in the United States. And they're horrible people who do horrible things. And they're part of the government and they're part of oppression. So, yes, embargoes in theory are, you know, this act of warfare or whatever it is that we want to call them. But the practice is, you know what, if Venezuelans can't touch the dollars they have in their bank accounts here to continue to oppress people, I'm kind of okay with that. So I, I just don't have a strong, you know, again, this isn't my focus, right? So no, everybody, everybody has their, their thing. But, and my but, thing but isn't Cuba, that. Cuba is your focus. And that's why mm -hmm. I think it's important that we have some sort of, you know, consensus libertarian view on these things. And, and from my vantage point, the consensus from the libertarian perspective of non-intervention is that we don't intervene. I mean, and, and I think that by any definition, if you are putting economic sanctions on a foreign country, that is intervention. So I, you know, from my vantage point, I don't think that that's a libertarian position to hold. And, and this is why I'm giving you some pushback because I just simply, I find it to be immoral. That's my view. I know a lot of people would say, well, it's immoral to turn to turn a blind eye to the suffering of the Koreans or the Hong Kongers or, you know, like, of course I get, I get the counter argument, but um, ultimately because I don't trust our imperialist uh, tendencies, it seems as if it's a mistake to give them the option to maintain this as opposed to opposing it as a unified libertarian party. Sure. And I think hindsight is 2020. And if the United States wouldn't have gone down that route and maybe we would have, you know, had different policies, maybe this wouldn't have lasted this long. At the end of the day, if we're going to talk about things that will actually improve Cubans lives, as well as all of Latin American uh, people around, you know, uh, down south, I think that let's talk about the drug war. Because forget the embargo. That's that's such a, a small speck on the issues. Let's talk about the drug war and how the drug war single-handedly gives money to this narco regime, which is spreading. Um, because it's not just the Cubans, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Peru. I mean, communism and authoritarianism is growing. And the reason they have the funds to do so is because of our drug war. So while Absolutely. the embargo is a big, 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 you know, thing that we like to talk about, we don't talk about enough the drug war. We could. You think? Have... I, I think I we talk think... about it a lot. I mean, I, I guess maybe it's not on my feet. I, I talk about cannabis a lot in this country, but and I try and push back on the drug war as much as, as possible. But I don't see like a concerted libertarian effort, maybe every day kind of, hey, Another day that Biden hasn't ended the drug war, you know, we could be doing more. Um, well, I think I think the, the reason that you may not have noticed it so much lately is because the COVID tyranny is so ever present and it's so much more deeply impactful on our day to day lives currently. But, um, you know, I, I, and that I don't was a big know criticism of the Jorgensen campaign that I, I hear from everyone. And I, <laughs> yes. I tend to share that quite a bit. Um, I, I have to I, say I, my show literally exists because of that campaign <laughs> and not talking about lockdowns. Liberty Lockdown exists because of that. I, I, you know, and thank you for your service, because that is exactly <laughs> what we should be talking about. And, you know, a lot of people call me a Joe Jorgensen libertarian. I, listen, guys, I translated for her. I didn't write her speeches. You know, she, her policies mm. are not necessarily my policies. And those that know me know that I push back hard with her. And I wanted her to go to the border. And she, you know, it was not in the cards for her campaign for whatever reason. But I pushed back and I said, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come with you to these events and translate mm -hmm. for you and um, speak to the families and let them know that, you know, we have these policies. We believe in this freedom. And it didn't happen. So while I appreciate um, people recognizing that I was part of Joe's campaign, and I do think she's a wonderful person, and I thank her for her service because it was, you know, she went out 
during um, COVID, when we were all at the beginning, you know, now we're all like, no, I wasn't ever scared. But I have to say, there was a lot of people that were scared at the very beginning. And she got on that bus. I've even said it, the first 30 days of lockdown, I didn't know what we were dealing with. I was nervous. I was nervous too. You know, my 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 mother, who she would kill me for, for saying her age, but she's up there in age. She lives in my house and I was scared for her. I was like, I, I'm going to, you know, be careful because my mom's life is valuable to me and I want to make sure that she's safe. And I feel that anybody who was scared should not be called out for being scared. We didn't know what we were dealing with. Yeah. But, well, I mean, the, the reason I was concerned is because they did something so fucking insane. They locked us all in our houses for 15 days. I was like, crazy. OK, this has to be serious because there's no way they would do this willy nilly. Eh, it turns out, yeah, they kind of did. But uh, at the <laughs> time, I, you know, for the first month or so, I was like, wow, this might be really fucking bad. Um, turns out not so much. I mean, it wasn't like it was good, but it wasn't what they amped it up to be. So, uh, I was yeah, no I, video from China and I was like, exactly. What is happening? Oh my yeah. gosh. So yeah, I was concerned. And so Joe went out on the on the road and so did Spike. And we all know that Spike has his health issues. So I have to applaud them both because this is a thankless job. You go out there. I was out on the road with them at several stops. I hosted Spike here in Miami. Um, it's a thankless job. These people are heroes for knowing that they aren't going to win, spending their time, their effort. Totally you know, agree. Joe was working the whole time. She was still a professor. Um she did a lot of work and and I'm not going to trash talk her at all because I think that no. she showed that there you know that there are people so dedicated to the liberty message that they will go out during this. Now was she perfect? No. Nobody is. Exactly. And yeah. neither am I guys. Feel free to criticize me too. I'm not perfect. I'm telling exactly. you. Exactly. These these are critiques of of the campaign. It, for me, it's never been about Joe personally. Like I I've met her. I think she's a very sweet lady and she's smart and she was right on almost everything. So like and God bless her for for putting herself through the ringer for you know it's totally th- thankless as you said so uh, there's no critique of her personally but I think that the the critiques of the campaign were legitimate and valid mm-hmm. and and I think that they're important to voice and you know the fact that sometimes our critiques get um, funneled into you know troll culture online and they become you know misogynistic and and hateful and negative in that regard it's you know. It is unfortunate. I'll, I'll grant you that. It's also part of internet culture, which you're never going to get rid of. And if you go to any other political party, you're going to encounter it again. It's like, I don't think that this is a, an exclusive uh, issue that exists within libertarians. Like, And right. I, I, I also want to push back a little bit against your characterization of it being a frat boy party or whatever you said about it. Um, why do you feel that way? And if you could clarify a little bit so that I could at least counter it or understand you better. Sure. Listen, you know, there's a difference. And I keep hearing this like, well, if it's internet stuff, you should just, you know, ignore it and blah, blah, blah. These aren't random people. These are people that are in a party. These are people I know personally, I've met, I've seen at events. Um, mm-hmm. These are not your random, when it's random, when it's some buddy with no following some anonymous you know, yeah, some yeah, anonymous yeah. guy that's that's one thing and i agree with you you're never going to be able to get rid of that there's probably troll farms where you know it's probably not even a human being who knows <laughs> that's different i'm talking about people who are known within this party who go about and say these type of things and that's where i have an issue because listen again nobody's perfect but um, if somebody's out there, including friends or whatever, saying, hey, you know, making these comments, I would I would say that's not OK, as I do, which is why I get this. Um, you know, I get I get called out on stuff because I am vocal and I will say I don't agree with this and I don't think that this is OK. And and I think that that's, 
you know, I would like to see more people, even if it's your own team, you know, and I think that's, that's the point I'm making here. This is my team. The Liberty, you know, movement is my team. The Libertarian Party is my team. And when my own team spends all this time talking about me or my body or my face or, or some, you know, word that I use somewhere, but Anytime that I had a project, anytime, listen, I sent 800 pounds. I smuggled 800 pounds worth of drugs into Cuba. Nobody from this team, not a single one, not from national all the way down, except for Spike Cohen, who did give me a platform, did retweet, was constantly helping whenever he could, came to Miami, did an event to help us raise medicine. There are some people within the party, but it's very few and far between. And I have a problem with that. My opponent in my race does not need to do any work. Libertarian Party takes care of it for him. He doesn't need to talk about me. This is the second or third time someone's declared proudly the felony that they committed on my show. I really appreciate that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It, it's it's awesome. I mean, I, I don't have any any critiques with uh, you know doing things against the law if it's to help other people that are uh, being oppressed. But at it's the same against time, the law in Cuba, not against the law in the United States. I'm I'm cool I, with with I with. Know. With um, you know, violating a few laws in a communist country—that's that's, of that's course, totally cool. of course. And for the record, <laughs> I think we're closer to a communist country than a lot of people want to acknowledge. And I don't really have a problem with people breaking laws that are immoral here either. Just on the record, I don't really care. Um, but I wanted to get more clarity. So, is it just well? First off, did you get these types of attacks after the identitarian language that you use that upset everybody, or was it? Has this been a long running thing that that had you inching yourself closer towards the exit door? Um, you know, I don't really pay attention to the comments themselves. I what I was paying attention to mostly was and I had gotten some comments way back. Um, you know, there were other people that said comments. It's, it's not an, it's not well, an, I'm trying to understand that, like how how severe this is, because from from my perspective, it looked as if you got bombarded after those comments about you know, representation and things like that, which is, as I explained, a very knee jerk, no, no for libertarians. So like, I'm, I'm trying to understand if, if this is a continuing problem that existed your entire time here, or if this was just after that. The first time I officially got in, involved in LP Florida, <laughs> um, way back when, uh, there were several groups of people within the party who have now left that, um, were very vile. Um, those that are in the LP know we had issues. They kind of went away. We had a few good years. And then, you know, stuff, it's it's always somebody or something. And it's just, again, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not here to be like, we have to police people. We have to, that's, it's kind of par for the course. I mean, I can, listen, I'm in yeah, my 40s. Politics, I can handle yeah. myself. Again, my thing was, it really hit home this last time when I looked at, again, no, no, no help from the LP in terms of these projects, in terms of really getting um, Hispanic, you know, and again, I know this people are like, oh, my God, she's identity. No, it's about spreading liberty to people who don't understand English. It's about spreading liberty to people who I know would be, appreciate this content. So I don't ever get any help in that sense. I don't get any retweets. I don't get a whole lot of of, um, you know, articles from the LP. I don't get a whole lot of things. And then on the other side of it, um, I didn't want to bring my own daughter. Uh, my assistant is also a young female. She's 19. She's gorgeous. I was going to bring her to the convention to help me out with stuff and, and run a table. 
these are not, I don't want to, to, to be a part of these women, my daughter, my, you know, other girls that are other women we bring in other people we bring in. Um, I hear a lot from, from other activists and I don't want to name names. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but there are a lot of activists in this party, men, women, and everything in between who have said, I've gotten, um, I've gotten a lot of, of hate for, for things. And I just think again, people within this party, if it's some random troll, no big deal. But if it's people that are known within this party, we should be calling them out. We absolutely should. Well, I would like yeah. to see that. Well, and I, I should say that I think that oftentimes when you you perceive it as no one coming to your defense, oftentimes things, because they are our friends, people are doing things behind the scenes because they don't want to put it publicly, but they are still trying to course correct dialogue and things like that. Um, so I don't think that you had zero support, to be honest, but I understand that, you know, you may have wanted a, a more public defense laid out for all of the hard work and the campaigning and the donations that you've done. And uh, it's totally fair. I, oh, I, I don't need the promotion of it. I just, you know, listen, <laughs> those 800 pounds of medicine were all donated from people. And there were a lot of people in the party that, that did send me stuff that, that were supportive. I'm not saying that individuals didn't help, but as a party, I think, you know, if it, the LPF, especially if you have a candidate that's running, that's also managing to to smuggle drugs into a communist country, wouldn't you want to like focus a little bit on that instead of whether, you know, we're fighting over over this other thing over here? I just and it, it's at the end of the day, it's where my efforts are going to go. Again, let's go back to what I did. I changed my registration, which is legit, legitimately an albatross around my neck because in a race that I'm running against just a Republican, there's nobody else in this race with me. Having an NPA is superior. It just is. I wanted to run this race with a big LP banner, you know, and be like, I am libertarian and I'm going to win as a libertarian. But let's be real. As an NPA, I have a higher chance of winning in a nonpartisan race. I have a much higher chance because there's no Democrat in the race and I can appeal to voters who don't like the Republican in the race. So this is mm. actually better for my own campaign. But on top of that, I just, I'm done giving money to people who don't value, you know, the efforts. And, and where is that money going to go to? To things like promoting people who believe in closed borders and who don't want to see the free movement of people. I'm sorry, that's just not me. And so well, I believe in what I believe in and I, my money will support the things I believe in. So people are just angry that I took my money and went home. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, in fairness, I don't think that they were angry about that. I think it was the 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 choice of words when you were exiting that that bothered some people. At least that that was the only thing that got my hackles up. Other than that, like it's your money, it's your life, it's your passion, it's your path. Like obviously, you have full right to contribute or not, and um, I think that's all totally reasonable. Uh, the and I would like to get into the immigration topic at some point. Um, did you, first off, I should ask, did you did you watch the Spike Cohen, Dave Smith debate on Lions Liberty? Yeah, of course. That's why I, I was in the country of Georgia when I, I listened to it. Um, you know, I had a full schedule there and I took time out to listen to it because I was really interested in it. I'm not a supporter of the show, so I had to wait um, to get it. And as soon as it dropped, I was like, oh, let me listen. I think this is going to be a great debate. And, um, you know, I've made no um, I, I don't hide it. I think Spike Cohen that man can pretty, I, he pretty much walks on water. I mean, the man is fantastic. I really do. Um, I love Spike, him, yeah. whatever you want. I think he's great. I would love it if he ran for president uh, for the Libertarian Party. 
uh, I would definitely campaign for him. I'd do whatever he wants. He's a great human being. I support him fully. So I was so excited to hear this debate. And then I didn't, I, you know, the first few things were I, we agree on most things and I didn't see the pushback. And so this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. Immigration is something that is near and dear to my heart. Like I said, my father, my mother and father emigrated here from Cuba in the early 70s. My life is my life. Like the life I have is due 100% to the fact that when my father got to this country, actually he didn't even, he was welcomed while he was still in Cuba. Uh, For those that don't know the story very briefly, my father, uh, when he was 21, realized that he didn't want to stay in Cuba, that he had no life there. He had to, in order to graduate from college, he had to become part of the Communist Party. My father has a strong belief, he raised me with that same belief, that communism is bad, socialism is bad. He doesn't want anything from anyone that he didn't earn himself. And he said, I'm going to leave my country. And he um, attempted to escape. He attempted to leave through Guantanamo and he got caught and he was sentenced to a six year sentence in a prison, in a maximum, like they have a prison that's special for political prisoners in Cuba. And he was sentenced there. Um, After six months, because my father was a farmer and he had good behavior, they sent him to work in the fields, basically a gulag. And um, my grandmother, same name as me, Martha Bueno. Uh, she has since passed, but she worked, um, found a car, a driver, found tires, found gas. Because, you know, with rationing, it's all these things are very difficult to be able to plan. And she planned the whole thing. She planned my dad's escape. My dad and his cousin who was with him and they both got caught. So she planned this whole thing the day of of, of the breakout. She, I guess, realized that she couldn't do it for whatever reason. I don't know how to panic attack. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't even born. I wasn't even close to being born. My brother was, um, but I was not. And my mom stepped up. My mom, my 21-year-old mother stepped up and said, I'm going to do it. Got in a car with two men she had never met, drove eight hours across the island to make it to where my father was, and um, broke him and his cousin and about 10 other guys (laughs) that they weren't expecting out. And then drove him to this town right next to the Guantanamo Bay where he hid out. Um, you know, the stories are like she dyed his hair and, you know, shaved or I don't know, you know, changed his look around. And he hid out for about a month where he made it out through an outhouse into the bay and made it to an island right in front of Guantanamo. So he swam about an I- a mile to where there was a soldier on this like little island right before Guantanamo, the the uh, the military base. And the soldier standing on this island reached down to my father. This was in the middle of the night. You know, there's guards with with guns. It's it's a very dangerous situation as far as I've been told. And um, reached into the water, pulled my dad out and said, welcome to America. And I mean, every time I tell a story, like my the hair on my arms raises. And this is why this this subject of immigration is so important. People like my father who came to this country with not a single penny to his name, uh, somebody let him sleep on on his couch for about a month. He got a job because he was able to. Because at this time, when he came in the '70s, you could come to America and you could work. My dad mm-hmm. got a job. He became the top salesman for this company selling windows in Harlem, <laughs> and um, was offered a, a cruise ship to be able to, you know, as like a, a gift for 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 his hard work and whatnot. And that's how he discovered Venezuela. And that's how he, you know, our story moved to over there a bit. But if not for for that immigration policy, that that open door policy, where if you want to come here, we don't give you anything, but we also let you come and work. And that's what I'm hoping to see again. This is a country of opportunities. And there are people 
I just posted on a thread on Twitter. Uh, there was a little seven-year-old Venezuelan girl that got swept out of her mother's arms crossing the Rio Grande and died. Our border policy kills people. It kills people. And and the people who can't make it here. Listen, in, in Latin America, I assure you, there's plenty of, of inventors and, you know, the Elon Musks of the world. Do you really think that that it's not a thing that we're not smart enough or we don't have an education? It's a, opportunities when you have this freedom to create, to, to start businesses, to do things, you get all this wonderful innovation, which is what the United States is. We have been a country of innovation because of all of these freedoms, which now we're cutting back on. And then further on that debate, there were no numbers, you know, the, the, it was thrown around, well, we can't have all these people. And where's the backup? I don't think in a debate setting, just saying we can't do something should not be countered, you know, shouldn't be. Look at Miami. Okay, this, you know, look at the, the major cities, but Miami is what I know. So let's go here. Miami, 40, 50 years ago, was not this. This has been built by immigration. This has been built by the freedom to come here, work. Our own community has helped each other. So I, I just, I have a big problem. Like I said, this is really near and dear to my heart. It is something I believe in. It is something I care about. And I just, I would like to see a debate where we actually talk about the realities and not this perceived notion. Because um, again, I mentioned Elon Musk a minute ago. He's an immigrant. He was not born, he's white and he has a great accent, but he's South African. Of course. You know, he's not, he's, he's an immigrant. And look at all the wonderful things he's done. Has he done some not so great things? Maybe. Uh, has he taken money from the government? Yes, money that our government gave to him. You know, and, and I'm not going to lie. If he, the government gave me money, I'd probably take it too. He's he's worked the system, but he's he's also accomplished a tremendous amount of good. So no dis, no dispute there. Uh, and I, and for the record, I don't think that there's any libertarian, uh, including Dave, that are arguing that there's no positives that come from immigration. I mean, that would be delusional. Uh, most of us are uh, immigrants. We're third, fourth, fifth generation, whatever. So I mean, this is the land of of immigrants, probably more than any country on earth and maybe any country in history. Uh, so I, I don't think that there's any argument or dispute there. I, I think that the critique or the, the debate is about whether or not, I mean, the consequentialist side of things is like, can you do that? Like, and, and it's, it's curious to me that you, you felt as if there wasn't even enough pushback from spike. Did I understand that correctly? That's correct. Well, cause he said, if he had a button that he could slap right now and have completely open borders, he would hit it. And, and that's not enough for you? That seems like... I don't know. Exactly I, I love his position. I, I agree with him totally. If there's a button I could hit and immigration was... I just mean on those specific topics. I don't want it taken out of context. On those specific things, when it's like, we don't have enough, uh, you know, we, we couldn't possibly take in or all these, you know, I would have liked to see pushback. As I said earlier, I, I agree with Spike's position wholeheartedly, but I think that there's something to be said for having this conversation with people that it actually affects. You know, it has been it has been a long time if you know, yeah, sure. Spike and 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 um, Dave's family may have been immigrants long ago, but they weren't necessarily particularly impacted by this. So I would have liked to seen more of a, a discussion um, with numbers and with, um, you know, the the whole issue, not just, well, you know, it's a welfare thing. So immigrants don't come here because they're looking for welfare. We could remove that tomorrow. This is all policies that if the United States was honest, we could remove. We don't have to provide people with um, welfare. That's not why people are coming here. That's not why my family came here. As a matter of fact, my family has never been on welfare. And well, yet, I, think, 
my parents started businesses. My parents, I started a company with my mother when I was 17 years old. My parents have been entrepreneurs and have given jobs to many, many, many Americans. I myself have built several companies, hundreds of employees. And and there's a huge economic boom that has come from millions of very, very productive immigrants that have come here. So there's no, no disagreement there. I think it is painting with too broad of a brush to say that no one comes here for our welfare. I mean, it's undoubtedly true that some people do because you come from a very impoverished place. You have not a penny to your name and you hear about this shining city on a hill that will give you free health care and yada, yada, yada. You'd be a fool not to take it. So like I'm not even blaming the people that that come across the border to get it. Um, I would obviously prefer that once they get here, they become more industrious and and try and, and work their way up like their fellow immigrants that have that more imbued nature within them. I think that Unfortunately, your perspective is a little bit biased because you are the Cuban heritage thing. You have people that are coming from a communist country. Oftentimes, those people are just looking for opportunity. There are other nations where people come over and they don't have that same drive. It's just that's the reality. It's not always. And I'm saying that's definitely a very small portion of immigration on total. Uh, let me let me push back there a little bit, because okay. leaving your country, leaving everything you have, everything you've known. To shows a lot of drive and initiative. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, th- th- let's yes, people now because it's being offered because you can you can come to this country and we will give you all of these things. Sure. Of course, people are going to take it. I mean, come on. It's so much easier to come to this country and know that your kid's going to be able to go to school and that you'll have health care and that you'll have all these things. Cubans right now, you can come in from Cuba. And if you, you know, if you migrate and you win the lottery of the visas that they have, you come in and it's like, here's your cell phone and here's, you know, welfare and food stamps. Of course, people are going to take it. But mm-hmm. that's not why they're leaving Cuba. That's not why they're leaving Venezuela. That's not why they're leaving Nicaragua. That's not why they're leaving Mexico. You have to understand that our politicians have put these things in motion recently. So then they can be, you know, it, it's it's a it's a game that they're playing. And I I'm not, I don't want to play that game. I think that if we remove the welfare and, and allow people to come in, that would be fantastic. Unfortunately, we don't have any power to make those changes. And so instead of fighting each other over, you know, our policies or whatever, I'd love to see us talking about how we're going to overcome these issues. And one of the big things I see is, you know, if the Libertarian Party was a corporation, we're trying to run it like like a big company. We're trying to we're trying to start the Libertarian Party from the top. Right. So I'm an entrepreneur. This is what I, I've. I've, I've been saying for a long time and I've been advocating for people to take the smallest steps in government and work your way up like a small business. So I started with a community council. I won that seat. I am now looking to move up to the next seat above me. I think if we all, everybody who's a libertarian who wants to make changes, this is what you should do. You should go out and run for those small seats and work your way up. Our problem is we have been, we need to run a presidential candidate. We need to do this top down thing, which is anti-libertarian to begin with. We aren't an organization where, um, you know, our ideas aren't something that we should be pushing from the top down. We should be working our way up and creating communities. So that's another thing that I see. I disagree. You know, it wasn't just the LPF or it's not just this. We as a group, I think we've kind of lost our way. And there's a lot of things that I disagree with. But at the end of the day, I'm 100 percent towards liberty and I want to see more liberty in any way, shape or form we can, which is why I'm running, which is why I've been, you know, working and doing these things. So 
Listen, there, we're going to disagree. This is just the way I feel about it. And no, no, it's fine. I, but I, I still feel, you know, for the audience's sake and for mine, I, I do need to push back further on the immigration debate because I think that there's this misconception that that if if someone is not for instantaneously open borders, that it shows a level of callousness or lack of concern for immigrants. And Dave went out of his way to even say that is not the case. Like I, I have tremendous sympathy for these people and what they're going through. But I think that the problem with the open borders side is one, it's not going to happen. I mean, you're not going to have open borders because we're not we, we're not any, anywhere close to having power. So this is really a debate about a hypothetical to begin with. Right. Um, but but two, it's like this is there is it because we live in a status paradigm. You know, you have you have public property, you have public commons. You you do have to deal with property rights in a paradigm that doesn't allow for it because you're dealing with government basically stolen land. And and it's not there is no clear, in my opinion, and, I, and I've gone back and forth on this. I was uh, at first I was a Bordertarian, just as Spike Cohen said, and then I became open borders. And then I went back to Bordertarian uh, and Dave Smith played a part in that. I, I think that there he made really compelling arguments. It, and did you find no merit to any of them? I, I, that's I it's surprising that. to me. I didn't say there okay. was no merit. I've never okay, said then. that there's no merit. I, I, like I said, I would have liked to have seen a, a conversation that um, had more of the facts, not just feelings, which I think there was a lot of, you know, he, he said also 90% of Americans don't agree with this. And we, every data point that I've seen has never, I can't find anything that says 90% of Americans agree with either closed borders or less immigration. But, you know, the bottom let me, line Let me is, clarify that real quick, because sure. he wasn't saying that 90% of Americans want closed borders. He was saying that 90% of Americans don't want fully open, completely unregulated, total However mass migration. You want to it, I've never you don't seen, buy that. No, 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 I don't. But I, you think, know, I think it's totally fair to to I mean I I'd I like did to see, see the number then. I think that if, okay. if 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 that's the case, if 90% of Americans are saying no, no, you know, this isn't how then it should be pretty easy to find that number. Do you I think there should be any, a number. Do you not see any negative? Well, he said it. I mean, he even talked about how he tried to do the research and he was looking at Cato articles and, and basically like it was basically they don't pull that because it's so unpopular. That that was his assumption. But then they they had some other um, breakdowns of the polling to try and get to some answer. And he basically had to glean from that uh, an assumption as to what the percentage was. Um, but I, I, what I want to ask you is, I, I think that it's it's not dealing with reality to to say that there is no negative impacts to society from immigration and, and unfettered immigration where you just allow anyone to come in. And we have already seen, you know, millions of people that are flooding the uh, flooding across the border over the past couple of years. And it's been basically a constant flow for a long time. There's no doubt that that's been a net positive for the people that have come across. But for the people that live here, and I'm not a nationalist, but I think that when you're dealing with a modern American politics, especially in a democratic system, you have to consider what the popular will wants, right? Because you have states that the the state oh, or uh, I because mean, because the state we're, the we're state has to... taken the property that they, they should property? have some say. Which property are we talking about specifically? Let's go down specifically. Any, I want any, to any public property really, that's owned, really public, public parks, schools, everything that's on, owned on Dave's comment. So number one, you know that I'm against public schools. I think if we're going to be sending kids to school, the money should follow the children. So, I mean, all of these arguments that we're having kind of, 
again, <laughs> if, if it's based on this pie in the sky idea, right, which is what we're saying, we don't have any power. So it's a pie in the sky, libertarian, you know, utopia land, then let's talk about how the schools, we shouldn't be paying for, for it. Sure. But also the kids should be able to choose whatever school they want, including homeschooling, whatever. I want to just push back because what we're saying basically is that um, you know, this is like the Ron Paul in 2008, where he was saying no to war, you know, like he was saying things that people were like, oh, the world isn't ready to listen to that. And now we're like, damn, Ron Paul had a point. And Ron Paul said exactly what our beliefs were. And he didn't move from it. So while yes, whatever, maybe Americans aren't ready for it. That's not our belief. Our belief is free movement. And so while it may be, but, 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 we, but that's the thing, our belief is not free movement. Our, our belief is free movement paired with property rights. If you don't include sure. property rights in that dispute, in that dispute or that debate, then it's it's not a libertarian argument that we're having. Sure, I agree. So tell me, how much of the border is is belongs to public to land? Yeah. Well, a ton of it's public land. They That's have to the, take a lot of that land from people in order to to do so. There's plenty of, of of farms on the border that have been cut in half by our border wall that people now can't use their, their land. Listen, of there's, there, and those people that work there, if they want to invite people in, why not? Why can't they? I myself, again, I've mentioned, I have family in Cuba. I want to invite them. I want to bring them to my property where I live and, and, and take care of them. I can't do that. That's illegal for me to do. Well, so, see, but, I, but I, I think that you're, you're, if you listen to the debate, which you said you did, you know that Dave would, would support that because he basically is saying that if you have a sponsor here, that's a different thing because you actually have someone who's taking the financial responsibility on and they are allowing them onto their property. So sure. he's not he's not for the current paradigm at all. He's just but saying which that part are we not allowing door. people into the sidewalks, the, the roads? You know, wh which part are we debating the private, the parks? Because most yeah, immigrants don't live on our, our streets. Most immigrants find a location. They get uh, course, they rent a house. Most, they find yes. a job. You know, of course, most do. Most which do. Part but are we not all of them do. And we're talking about all of the public lands, public parks, public schools, public mm -hmm. hospitals, public public land that's on the border, like all of these things are, are property that in this current status paradigm are collectively owned. So we have to honor the popular will because that's as close to a libertarian ideal as we can get in this bullshit status paradigm. Because if you, if you say that the people own, you know, collectively these, these public commons, then they have to have some say. And if the people have a say, then we have to listen to it. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the argument there. Uh, you, apparently disagree, but I think that it's a fair well, sure. kind of, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, here, hold on one second. It's, it's sure. exactly like you were just saying, like the purely libertarian ideal would be to abolish the department of education and all public schooling, but you were willing to compromise and say, I would rather, because we exist in this bullshit status paradigm, I would rather the kids have the right to go to whatever school they want, take their tax funds with them and go elsewhere. Dave's saying the same thing, but just on this topic. So I don't understand why it's so offensive when your take on public schooling was just as, you know, because middle I'm of the road. I'm not saying that kids, listen, I'm saying that you can take your public dollars and you can use them however you want, but you can also have the right to educate them at home. You can do what you want with immigration, with people but you who can't, are though, dying. You in do, your, sorry? But you can't, though, because if you have public schools at all, then they're taking that money by force and they still have truancy and things like that. So it's like, I'm just my saying it's still, it's still not a system. What's that? I know my kids don't belong to the public school system. They never have. I know plenty of people who have homeschooled their children. There's a but huge, they have to be schooled, right? 
I mean, if you homeschool your children, you can do and teach them whatever you want, as long as you get somebody to sign off from the county or the state on on the education. I I think that this is a we're we're delving into something that just at this point it's it's just nitpicking little things. Sure, listen, there's a difference with your homeschooling, and and I get what he's trying to say, and this is the problem: we're talking across at each other instead of having a conversation. This isn't. A, a, hey, you know, I, I, it bothers me so much that my taxes are being taken, that we should stop people to come in so that until we can fix this problem, people are dying in their countries. Again, let's go back to what's happening in all of these countries. We need immigration. We're not even talking about the fact that our economy, if we, we don't have enough people being born in this country, we need immigration. You can look at Japan, you can look at places where immigration is stagnant or not existent and where the population is stale and the economy goes down. We need workers. The people who are coming across the border, a lot of them are willing to take the jobs that our American our Americans just aren't willing. Of course. And and we need it. I have a farm here in Miami. And uh, during the lockdowns, I would drive out there and you could see all the tomatoes rotting on the fields right by, right next door to my farm. We need workers. I can't find a worker. I can't find workers to come work on my own farm. We need these people. So part of the conversation that I was pushing back on was, again, these things the very real things that happen today. I'm not talking about pie in the sky stuff. I'm talking about if we simply change our policies and it doesn't have to be from today to tomorrow, straight up open borders, but people who want a job in this country who don't want to take from our services and just want to come here, work six months and go back home, why aren't we providing them with the ability to do so? This isn't about proper uh, property rights. Property rights are property rights and we absolutely should always honor those. However, we should have better system. We have so much technology. We could vet people at the border, make sure they're healthy, make sure there's they don't no, have a criminal there's no record. Disagreement. Come there's on no disagreement in, with all that. work, but you don't get any benefits. We there, could, there's no disagreement with any of that. We all, I think we all of us agree with that. It's the the reason that there's this debate amongst you guys, and so much. It's so important to you, and it's so upsetting to you that you're willing to leave the party over it is because we're dealing in a status paradigm and and we're still we're still trying to have a non pie in the sky discussion. I'm not trying to talk past you. I'm trying to demonstrate that these are these are genuine critiques of your ideal outcome because we don't have every property right already privatized. I think you and just said something that I didn't say. I think you just put words in my mouth, Clint. I did not say I was leaving the party because of what Dave Smith said and his beliefs. I didn't say Dave Smith said. I said you said that your biggest priority was the immigration issue, and you couldn't have someone that was going to run for president that was going to talk like that. That wasn't that why not... I left the party, though. That's one of my critiques. It's not why I left the party. I, I okay. was very clear well, when was, I said it was the support. Well, it was a multitude of issues, but yeah, it was a one of them. Multitude of issues. Yes, but okay, I don't sure. like that characterization because I can see in the comments that people are using those things to then come back and attack okay. me. I well, did not say that. Then I, I did apologize. say there was a multiple of issues. Dave yeah. Smith is a small speck on that radar. It's a okay. small well, you, you on, brought on it up. Things. You brought it up as him running for president and that being sure. one of your most important issues. So I had a convention where mine was going to be on it. Absolutely. Right. I also and had an issue with all the other people who will be running for president. I, I don't believe as a fairness issue that the Libertarian Party of Florida should be giving a candidate who has expressed his right, his his wish to run for president. I do not support that that they pay for his trip and, and and give him a spotlight without giving other candidates who are going to run the same. I think that that is also an issue. There are many issues. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, it's not 
important to to really go into all of these well, things. But I, I do think I, that that's an issue. Of course, I, and I I have no doubt that there's tons of issues. I I only brought it up because you had mentioned it as one of the like straw that broke the camel's back type type thing. So, right. anyways, uh, you apologies for framing it differently, but. The, the reason I'm trying to get into the minutia here is because I think that this topic is very divisive within li the Libertarian Party and within libertarianism generally. And I'd like to have some sort of consensus as to what we could all agree upon, because if we can't agree upon some sort of hybrid solution, because you have people that are hardliners and you're one of them, that you say it has to be open borders and nothing less. And as I a think, policy. yes, sure. and I think that if you if you want to have that, if it's going like this is such an easy compromise and I don't know why Dave and Spike didn't bring it up or maybe they did at the end and I missed it. Um, it seems like such an easy compromise to just run. We believe that you have to have all property privatized and abolish the welfare state. And then you can have open borders because if all pro uh, property is why privatized. Why does one have to come before the other? I'm saying in tandem. Listen, I think Listen, the reality is if we just open the borders and the welfare system collapsed, that wouldn't be the most horrible thing to happen to this country. You know, well, for I, the think record, I, I don't think I don't think that the immigration would collapse, collapse the welfare system. I think that we would have a cultural uh, just apocalypse because there's so many people here that are opposed to that. And you would basically be telling them you don't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. And you'd have half the country, at least How? probably a lot more. People What's don't that? just cross the border and then can start voting. How how would we be telling people well, that they're voting? Democrats are definitely from... trying to do that. You know that. Sure. And that's we should be pushing back on that as well. Okay. I mean, listen, that's that's like making arguments over. So these really bad ideas are out there and therefore we should change our ideas to. to, to no, no, that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying that you have people in this country that will be impacted by it, perceived or in reality, and they will respond. If we don't if we don't consider that, it's a mistake. I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, but I'm saying you will have a huge percentage of this country that says you don't respect my wishes. I don't respect you as an entity any longer. And maybe that's fine. And maybe that's for the best. I don't know. But you are you are playing with fire. And it's just it's I think it's a little naive, not by you, but just generally for people to just discount everybody else in this country and say, I don't care what you think. We believe in, in freedom that. of movement. What's that? I don't think anybody's saying that, but we have certain. Well, that, that's not true. If the if great you... thing about this party is that we've had the same set of beliefs since the early '70s. In 1972, John Hospers was the first Libertarian candidate, and he also was the first. Him and his running mate Tony Nathan, who was a woman, were the first people to receive an electoral college vote. Tony Nathan as a woman, and John Hospers as an openly gay man. I think our party beliefs are solid. And that they bring people in. Our beliefs are everybody is an equal. The, the individual is the smallest minority. And that's what we should be working for. And to deny people the right of free movement because we have welfare is not in line with that. I think that we should be talking about how horrible the welfare system is. I think we should be discussing this. I think we should be pushing back on these policies. I think we should be talking about these issues instead of hiding from them. I listen. This We're isn't a right personal now. attack against Dave. I think that he, you know, he, everybody here has a role, right? We all have a role that we play in promoting freedom. He's a comedian. I think that that is a great, you know, thing. We need more people in comedy. Look at J.P. Sears, how much he brings in and people who, you know, do all these things. I'm not pushing against Dave particularly. I'm pushing against that debate and him running for office and saying that we can't have more people. I wanted to see the numbers. I was... 
I was challenging him to a debate because I wanted to see an actual debate with numbers and 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 information and, but, but and Martha, so on. you gotta you gotta understand that you can't have numbers with a hypothetical because you can't know what the people that come in if say you open borders tomorrow. We've had how many how many extra millions have increased year over year? I don't have the numbers in front of me either. So if that bothers you, I'm sorry, but it has gone up a lot. It has gone up a lot. You know sure. that, right? Over over the past over the two years of lockdowns, many, many uh nations have had just mass exoduses of people and i don't blame them again but it is we're dealing in reality here that this is what's probably going to happen right we would admit that if you said we have open borders more people would come right or do you disagree with that no i think more people would come i agree okay i so, agree i think that that would happen however there would be a, a point where people would stop coming once there's no more opportunities once things you know it's hard for an immigrant here to get a job people would stop coming there or, or slow down. Puerto Rico, you can you can make it to Puerto Rico. It's an American territory, and yet people it's, don't migrate there. Puerto true. Rico is hemorrhaging people. There it's true is to a some... certain extent, but it's not completely true because if you have open borders and you have a welfare state and you saturate the employment market, you are still going to have people that come here if they don't have employment in their country, and then they come over here and they go, well, I could at least be taken care of even if I can't get a job. They can qualify still... for welfare. Immigrants well, coming across the border do not qualify for welfare. This is incorrect. And this is the part that that's I not true. Told. They can they can get their kids into school. They can get health care. You know, that's true. They can't get health care. Yes, I'm sorry. Can. They cannot you get have to get. Yes, you can. You have to get treated. You can't turn oh, anybody get away. Treated. So we're calling an emergency situation because the hospital won't exactly like give you an open heart transplant. They will take care of that's you so that you don't die. But that's, defini that's definitionally healthcare. I mean, <laughs> okay, sure. So that they stabilize you. Okay. You know, I guess being, uh, you know, sure that they stabilize you, but that's not healthcare. You don't get access to doctors. You don't get medicine. You don't get Medicare. They, I, 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 let's okay. define what they get. They can go to a hospital and not die. Okay, sure. That, that I mean, well, there's a cost there. I mean, there's a cost that the, that the taxpayer ends up paying. I, and I'm just all pointing Americans out the reality. The same thing too. Yeah, absolutely. What's that? anybody who's here on vacation gets that too or we you know if you come to this country with a visa and you something happens to you we pay for them as well we yeah, pay for americans that don't have health care too we pay for i know all i know sorts of people right so <laughs> what is the problem so you're okay paying for those people but not the the little brown people that cross the border is that what you're saying oh come on that's ridiculous oh, come on what what is the difference between an american if you're, you're going to try if you're going to try and make it sound as if i'm being racist i'll end this right here that was I'm that not. was so I'm that was so below the, the belt I'm asking you what the difference is between, well, you know what, what is the difference between an American who maybe got naturalized a few years ago versus somebody who just came over from Europe on a vacation and needed, and needed healthcare? You know, why are we differentiating? Because, then let's because an illegal immigrant who's can come not an over American with citizen. kids and put them in public school, correct? Sure. You can put okay. your kids. That's a policy. You can. Feel you can't free do that with a, with someone who's on vacation. It's a little different. There is an additional burden that goes into this. You know that we it's have we we legitimately have um, people who come from all over the world. Russia is a huge one here in Miami that'll come and have babies here just so that they're born as an American and that they get the free health care of of. I um, haven't said one hospitals. time. That I am saying. that I am that I am singling out Spanish speaking people. No, no, Mexican no. I, mean, or I wasn't saying that. I, I'm just saying that we have well, we then, have this industry. There are industries in this country where people have exploited that system. It is not just for immigrants coming across the border. So if we're going to have that discussion on how immigrants take that, sure. 
But I think we should be expanding that conversation to that actual policy and everybody that falls within it. I am not saying that immigrants don't take it. We have this policy and everybody, whether you are a green card holder, whether you're a full American citizen, whether you're here on vacation, whether you came here with a visa and your visa expired or you crossed over the border, every single person who is dying of something and they end up at a hospital, we will take care of them. I'm not going to argue against that policy. I think it's a humanist thing. I think that we need to figure out better ways of paying for it so we don't rob people to then pay for this. But I, do, I just I, I, I want to push back on that, Clinton, and I apologize if it came across in another way. I'm just saying that if we're going to single people out because they came across a border as why we shouldn't be having them here because we have that policy, let's count that a lot of people take advantage of that system, including our medical, um, you know, birthing, I don't know what we want to call it, where people come over and 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 come have kids in this country. You know, I was born here despite my parents living in Venezuela. My parents were American citizens, but my mom did that. You know, she was an American citizen. She had her insurance. She had whatever. And she didn't want to have me in Venezuela. I was of born course. here and I went back to Venezuela when I was nine days old. We have right. had this policy for a long time. And people who came in in the 70s could come here and had no welfare. They had no access to any of this. And they still came here. You know, th there's a lot of people that are desperate. People are dying in their countries and they would they risk their lives to come here. And, and this is something that I'm not going to stand here and say, hey, we should tell them all to just hang tight until maybe in the next 20 years we can figure out our welfare situation and then we'll help them out. We need these people, too. There's a policy that is broken. And I would love to be actually having that discussion rather, you know, what somebody else said or didn't say or, you know, a discussion that neither you nor I were a part of. I would be love Martha, to have we, this conversation. We, on we have been having the discussion on immigration for the past 30 minutes. I, I don't understand why you don't feel that we're having this in good faith. I, I think that this is an important topic for libertarians. Back to that debate. And I really think that we could get past it at this point. Well, I thought you just said you wanted to have the conversation about immigration. Sure. Well, we that's what I've been doing. Oh, okay. I thought I, I, pardon me. I thought we were talking about me having that conversation with somebody else. My no. Okay. No, no. I've been, I've said multiple times. I, I want to have some sort of consensus libertarian outlook on this because I think personally that both sides are libertarian. I think that you're taking a hardline libertarian stance. And Dave is taking a slightly more pragmatic approach. That's my personal view of this. Okay. And we so, can both, we, there's, it's a big 10. We can both have our opinions. That wasn't, well, this was never seems, a debate it against. Seems as if, it seems as if you don't want it to be a big 10 on this topic because it's so important to you. It is important to me. And I, like I said, I always brought it back to the fact that my name was on this convention and I did not necessarily want to be, um, you know, a part of of what was happening there, you know, with, with, again, this idea of the sort of closed borders, you know, the, the lack of Hispanic rep representation in terms of speakers coming out and speaking in Spanish, that type of thing. I, I just, you know what, I, I got involved while I was in Georgia. I, I saw the fighting online about the convention name. And, and just to be clear, it was between convention name, a convention face and flex it or die. I think both names were pretty bad in terms of a political party. Um, nobody is saying that Florida should succeed, secede. Uh, at least that's not a conversation I've been privy to. And so for me, it was, you know, I wanted to prove that that there's other ways to go about this. We didn't need to, to denigrate each other online. We could have come up with a solution, which we did. 
and that that solution won. I gotta and, say, I gotta say, if flex it or die, be. if flex it or die is unprofessional, having it named after you is more of a political party thing to do. I think that as somebody who's running, I couldn't pay for that kind of publicity. Sure, having my name repeated hundreds of times for two thousand dollars—that's a great win for my campaign. I think that having, you know, oh, the I, I don't doubt that it's good for your campaign, but I'm yeah. saying I'm not sure that like if you named the RNC, the Donald Trump convention would have been. A good it was called move. that pretty I much. I mean, let's well, be honest. It was the Donald Trump campaign. And, and well, it was fair. his. It was certainly his party. There's no doubt about that. But I'm just saying, uh, I think the flex it or die is kind of. It's more in my lane, but uh, you know that's, and that's just what it's personal called now. Opinion. So you got you got your way. It's it's called now well, flex it or die. Did, didn't and even and, know and that. to be honest, I think that it was a it was a strategic move to have that amount of of um just just publicity why not i am running i hope to win and it would have been great i you know would well, have been I, great to have that and and that as a was marketing my, guy my, i think it makes perfect sense for you so i'm not pushing back on that at all i, I mean, i'm just saying i just didn't understand the critique of flexor die being you know unprofessional when having it named after a single candidate would make it any better i, I mean you're, i wasn't you, saying that i was saying that the fighting online that was happening at the time that i made the decision to possibly put my name in the ring and then it won um, mm. so that was my thinking at the time. I actually, the day that that name was put into the ring, I was, I had gone to the, um, Georgian libertarian, um, their office in, in the country of Georgia. And that was, you know, I went several times. They have four elected parliamentarians out of 150. They have four in Georgia and they've done some amazing things. I mean, these guys had me fired up. These, um, gentlemen are, they created an entire, um, an entire religion just to push back on the government on um, mandatory conscription. They have now the largest, the largest uh, religion within Georgia. It has 40,000 priests. And they did this to push back on, on mandatory conscription. Now, people who sign up for that, who, who join, who become priests, they, don't, they, aren't, they are not forced to go to war. Um, that was a brilliant move on their part. They also managed to get cannabis legalized. They also, uh, while I was there, the last person who was in jail for uh, going to jail for cannabis was released. Uh, he had a 10-year sentence. He served five, and they managed to get the president of Georgia to release him. And so I was fired up by all these things. They also, um, their office is across the street from the SUSI, which is the equivalent of our CIA or something like that. And they... Um, they do things. Uh, they're constantly pushing back on their CIA. They have a weed plant growing, even though growing is illegal still, or not legal. It, it's not illegal. It's it, you could have a fine or something. They grow a, a marijuana plant in the window in front of their CIA. I mean, it's just these guys are doing some amazing stuff over there. And I was like, you know, how would they handle this? This infighting of flex it or die or whatever. Let's just suggest another name. And I thought that it was something fun. Um, I was not expecting everything that came about. I didn't want any, any of this to happen. It's never been my intention to be, you know, this type of controversial. Yeah, I have a big mouth and I get caught up in stuff. I am passionate. I do love, uh, liberty. I will promote it till the day I die. And I think that's the bottom line is we're not going to agree on, on the minutia. I'm not going to agree that um, I, I want to say, hey, we'll fix immigration once we've fixed our welfare, because none of them are going to happen at that, at that way, in that way. And um, I, I do like the bold messaging, 
that I think that the Mises caucus is known for. I do like a lot of that bold messaging. I'd like to see it toned down from, from some stuff, um, especially some of the comments coming out of New Hampshire lately, but you know what? That's never been my, my big argument here. And I was never a hardcore. I don't want Dave. I just, I think that, that there's, we could do better and I want to see better, but it, at this moment, I'm, I'm happy not being part of the party. I'm happy being part of the movement. I will never leave the movement. Um, sure. But I just, you know, you got it. You got it. There's so much on my plate that this just, it takes up my time. It takes up, yeah. it takes from what I've, I'm actually doing from the people I'm actually helping. And so this whole thing, it's kind of gotten away from us. And like oh, I said, I, this is the last time that I will be talking about this. Of it, course. It, and that's totally fair. I, I don't think I don't think it, it should be a priority in your life to talk about this nonsense for much longer. Um, but I, I'm I'm genuinely like the reason I wanted to talk to you was primarily about the immigration thing, because it is your passion. So that the fact that I'm bringing up the, the Dave and Spike debate is simply because it's fresh in my mind. And I think that it's a really uh, it's a good example of two of the best messengers we have that are taking the opposing sides, which I believe are both principled libertarian stances, and they're going head to head. And I think that most people came away um, very torn. And I think that that's a that's great. You know, I like I like it when people maybe go in with a preconceived notion and they come away going, okay, I can now understand my ideological opponent, even if I didn't get swayed to their side. I don't feel like you and I have done that at all. So that's what I'm trying to get to right. is some sort of understanding of our perspective here. And and from my vantage point, it's such an easy answer. Instead of saying, well, why do we have to prioritize ending the welfare state or or making sure that all property is private before we have open borders? Why can't why is it so offensive to just say, here's a compromise that we could all agree on? Because it doesn't make sense. Clint, it doesn't make sense. We need does, immigration. Though. We need people to come here. Because I'm not saying that we're going to have closed borders. Our economy depends on you're, it. You're, you're taking Number a straw one. man of my, of my position. I am no, not no, saying no. that I don't want immigration. I'm saying that if you want to have, quote unquote, open borders, you have to privatize all the property in this country. Because otherwise, you have public commons. And you can't have open borders with public commons. It just, it is not libertarian. And that's why it gets to be a very easy libertarian answer. But there's if you there's pair a libertarian answer of what goes first. That's what I'm hearing from this debate. I'm I, I'm pushing back. I'm and I think literally I saying it doesn't have to go first. It could be simultaneous. But we can just say this is our platform. We're going to have X, Y, Z, whatever order you want to put it in. But I would just say all at once. And that's that's something we could actually agree upon. It seems like an easy compromise, but it still gets a knee-jerk reaction like, no, 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 that's not good enough. That's not pure enough. And I don't understand it because you're still getting what you want. No? I am saying that free migration is our platform. How we manage that, how we accomplish it is, is something completely other. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to say that we have to fix one thing before the other or simultaneously because it's not going to happen. We can streamline a lot of things. The United States did not have this issue, even though we were open borders for a long, the vast majority of our history. As I mentioned earlier, my father in the 70s just managed to come here. We didn't have wet foot, dry foot then either. Um, you know, it, we did not have this issue. The issue is, yes, the welfare but this isn't something that we're going to end all welfare or we're going to privatize everything before we start talking about it. That's I think that's that's what the, the thing that I'm I'm hung up on. And then we're maybe talking past each other. I think that it's this messaging, per se, that um, the United States somehow 
it was like that. We meddle in other countries. We are causing these problems that make people want to come here. Let's talk about that too. It's not just the welfare. If we stopped meddling, Absolutely. and I gave the the idea or the 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 solution of let's stop the drug war. If we stop the drug war today, a lot of these problems would go away. We can start there. We can start with with um, yes, reforming welfare. We can make the process to come into America. Right now, there are certain countries that the waiting list is over a hundred years. So we can make this better. Of I'm course. not saying one has to come before the other, and I feel like that's where we're we're kind of being hung up on. I'm but, saying, but I mean, you just said that that is basically how it's going to roll out, though. It is going to be a a process. We're not going to just leap right towards open borders. So, like, this is the pragmatic side of the argument where we say it took how many decades, or maybe a hundred plus years of of intervention overseas, the war on drugs, the war on poverty, welfare state, all of these things. You're gonna you're gonna have a hundred years of destroying the rest of the world and also indoctrinating your people to basically not be capable of this because that's where we're at in my opinion. And then you're just gonna go light switch on open borders and all the rest of the fucked up shit that we have. It still remains. And it's like, well, I think it's fair for people to go. That sounds dangerous to me. That sounds like a bad idea. And that's how a lot of people feel. And you know? I I sympathize with that. I do. I think that a lot of people are scared of what would happen. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that we did have this policy for the vast majority of the United States' existence. We have had an open borders policy. We had an Ellis Island style immigration thing. If you came from Europe, if you came um, in through San Francisco or whatnot, but people, we we tend to forget that you could come across our borders to Canada and from Mexico for the vast majority of the existence of the United States. This hasn't been an issue. We can go back to that. And you know what? If thousands of people come here and they try to raise our taxes to double or triple, people will push back on it. I'm saying that our messaging as a party, as a party, as people who believe in the free migration of people, we shouldn't water it down. And this is something that I hear from the Mises Caucus, which is why I'm surprised that I'm getting this kind of pushback. The Mises Caucus, their whole thing was saying we should have this bold messaging. We shouldn't water it down. And that was the number one criticism of Joe Jorgensen, which is why I'm so surprised that I'm even here having this argument to begin with. If well, you're because, saying, because you're viewing you're viewing it as watering down our arguments and it's not. It's a genuine disagreement based off of libertarian principles. And I don't feel like you're acknowledging them. It is a it is a counter argument that if you have commonly owned property by the state, which is a status paradigm, which we would all like to abolish. But until it's abolished. That is a libertarian counter argument that has to be dealt with. And that that's well, the do whole we not have state owned property in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s. And yet we had an pretty much open door policy. That's my point. You okay. know, we've had this and it, it it's never been perfect. I mean, come on, this, you know, no, it's a government. It's, it's never been, it's perfect. been pretty bad. Yeah, I don't think it was pretty bad. I don't think that you don't that think our immigration system is bad. It is now over the last oh, okay, 40, 50 okay, yeah, yeah. years. Prior to that, I don't think so. It's just like when people say, who will build the roads? Well, you know what? We didn't have a tax in this country uh, the, the way we do now until 1913. And yet we still had roads and infrastructure. I mean, just because right now it's bad, I don't think that that should be necessarily our messaging and it should be what we're talking about. We have had the free movement of people for a large majority of the time that this country has been established. We just did. And so I'm not going to sit here and argue that, that the way America was founded and the way our priorities were is wrong. I think we've had really bad policies put into place that we should be arguing to remove, 
to roll back, to do all of these things. They don't necessarily have to come together. It doesn't have to be one thing first, then the other. We're not going to magically Pollyanna like, and everything's just fixed. But I don't think that we should water down our message. Our message is liberty. Our message is this is the country of opportunity. And yes, we want you to come here and work and we want you to, you know, fight for what you believe in and have all these things, but you're not going to get anything from us. That should be your message. You're continuing to paint this as a watering down of our message. And I don't think that's fair. I just I think that you're discounting the counter argument to a point of absurdity. I mean, we are we are arguing from libertarian principles that if you have publicly owned land, you can you have to respect the people who allegedly own it in some sort of collective fashion. And the people that we're talking about happen to be people that you want to be in the libertarian party or in the liberty movement, since you're not in the LP right now. Um, so I think that it's a fair consideration to me in the movement to own the property i'm sorry i didn't catch it no 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 i'm saying you want you want these people who are going to have some say if this land is is allegedly publicly owned the people that are the public would be the owners of it right that's 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 the idea. I to, to to understand again we're talking about public schools yeah we're talking about hospitals that are not public anyways we're talking about roads we're talking like which lands yeah. Roads, streets, parks, forests. There's a lot. There's a lot of publicly owned land. Sure, there is a lot, but I'm I'm wondering, like, which part are we arguing that is actually going to change? Like, I'd like to get to the nitty gritty and not talk about in in this, you know, big uh, ideas. Okay, what would change if if people started migrating across? Are you worried about more traffic? I I mean, I'm trying to figure out what there's a potential for. There's a potential for a ton of negative uh, side effects. One, you, like I said, you could have a culture decline as the Republicans absolutely lose their mind. You also have a lot of leftists that don't support immigration or mass immigration for sure, uh, the Bernie Sanders types. So it's not a popular topic, but that's secondary. Um, you also have the potential for uh, additional crime. There is going to be some people that are criminals that come across. There are people that die that Fox News always talks about, and they they try and um, you know blow it out of proportion. But it's you brought up the the kids that die coming across the border. There are also Americans that die from immigrants. It happens sometimes, and it's tragic, and it's you know it's certainly overstated, but it's a thing. Um, there's other negative consequences when it comes to economics. You could have the potential for uh, you know job shortages for people that already live here, and if you're trying to get them into the Libertarian Party, that's a pretty hard, convincing sell to make. Uh, uh, terrorism. I mean, we've we've blown up how many countries over the past fifty years? It's uh, there's a lot of people that aren't huge fans of us. And if you just said, oh, anybody that wants to come over can. I think that there's a fair argument to be had that you could have an increase in terrorist attacks. Uh, there's Funny there's enough, lots, those of, guys lots of from, from those terrorist countries. <clears throat> Funny enough, they actually can come. Saudi Arabia can, can, can come anytime. And that's well, pretty much yeah. who we've claimed bombed our tower. So, you know, that's really not well, it's a, not who a, we claimed. It's the who it's who we hid uh, that actually did it. But, yeah, I get your point. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of we're we're arguing against each other on on something that we shouldn't. Again, it's just well, it's, you just you just asked what the potential negative right. effects and, are. So I'm listing them off. And I yes, I agree with you on a lot of these things. However, again, I'm just these 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 things. Um, I don't even you know what. Um, it's been That's a wrap. long, yeah. It's been a long hour and forty five minutes. I'm I'm exhausted. My kids have already just gotten home from school. I'm like I'm okay. trying to like watch Thanks. them Don't do uh, different if, things. If you'd like to I... tell people about your campaign, please feel free. 
I think um, I think pretty much everyone here knows, and I don't know that I really want uh, the negative. No, I'm kidding. Um, yes, I'm running for Miami-Dade commissioner, and the reality is that my policies on immigration don't have any bearing on Miami-Dade County and what I'm hoping to do. Again, um, the reason I brought up Georgia was because all of this lovely stuff that was happening over there, I'd like to see it happen here. We have the technology to do it. The country of Georgia has all of their property on a decentralized blockchain. You can exchange property with people within 20 minutes and it's wonderful and there's no cost. Here in Miami, we don't have that. All of our property, you need to hire an attorney. You need to um, have all of this, uh, you know, you need title insurance. You need all of these things. We can do so much better. And so I'm really, my focus here in Miami is on how we can improve. If we have to have a government, how we can improve it, how we can streamline it so that more people can keep their money. Unfortunately, Miami, a lot of people lose their houses over the extremely high property rate, uh, property taxes. We don't have enough housing for the amount of people that want to move here. We have an influx of people, not only uh, from outside the United States, but from all around the country that want to move here. Yep. This is now the block, the crypto capital is what they're trying to make it. There are a lot of policies that are hurting us so that we can be as open and have as much innovation and have all these wonderful things that everybody wants. Because at the end of the day, Clint, I think you and I, we're on the same team in terms of what we want. We want 100%. people to come here and be happy and healthy and have a wonderful life. And I am running to be able to um, call out that corruption that is stopping us from doing that. I'm running to be able to make our infrastructure as easy and work for the people rather than, you know, you know how it is. If you want to establish a business here, you got to run uh, run through all these hoops, government hoops, run around town, get things from different organizations. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Yes. And so my point is, you know what? All of these things, all of these conversations we've been having are wonderful, but they are things that we're never going to, yeah, there, there's nothing we're actually going to work towards. There's nothing here that we're going to fix. And so the things that we can fix is what I'm running on. I would yeah. like to use my entrepreneurial spirit to make Miami-Dade as efficient as humanly possible so that we can have more time and more money in our pockets. That's totally great. And I, and I really do, as I said, when, when I came into this discussion with you, I looked at you as a friend, I'm leaving feeling the same way. Uh, differences aside, I, I wish you the best in, in your campaigns and in whatever your Liberty path takes you on. Uh, I think that your work is great. And I think that the fact that you've you know put your time and your money into this speaks volumes as to your passion towards it. So I'm not doubting that at all. I think it's a genuine disagreement on a single, a singular issue. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's that's not enough to make me want to <laughs> excommunicate anybody. So I hope, I hope the people that are watching that are um, in the comments giving you shit right now or giving me shit can understand that you know these are these are hard, important conversations to have sometimes, and ultimately it is secondary to our fight against the state. So. Let's maintain some focus, maintain, uh, you know, prioritizing what matters. And thank you very much for coming on, Martha. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for taking the heat. I know that I, I am looking at the comments and um, yeah. I'm sorry for, for what's coming up. Uh, but I thank you. I thank you for for being that voice of reason. And like I said, this this was never a war. There's nobody, you know, there's nobody that I hate. There's no. Um, I feel the same way. Bad feelings here. I just I, I would like to focus on other things. And um Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and absolutely. And, and that on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me wait, make one last note. 
yeah. I also think, well, well, I think that the troll stuff in the comments is kind of an inevitability with the internet. I, I would like to say I have fought and tried to make it a safer space for women physically, you know, when it comes to like the sexual assault allegations and things like that. Um, I continue to think that that's a, a priority and a focus that we should all have. I tried to help someone and it backfired and I got dragged into a whole bunch of shit. So that didn't make me feel good about it, but I still deeply care about women feeling physically safe, not emotionally safe. That's a different thing, but physically safe uh, at, at conventions and things and like that. I have that, to so. say that I've always felt physically safe within the Libertarian Party. I've gotten right. into many cars with Libertarians that I didn't really know in all sorts of parts of the country. And by and large, are the people in the party, libertarians in general, are amazing people. I have awesome, mostly wonderful things to say. This was just a, I, I want it to be known that a lot of women get a lot of stuff and um, we should stand up for it, against it. I, yeah, that's fair. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, if you like arguments like this sometimes, uh, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Thank you guys. We're out. <music>